You're listening to the Open Court Podcast with Jay Young, Bob Huesler, and Joe DeSantis. An all-access pass to Fairfield University men's basketball. Well, we welcome you once again to Open Court with Jay Young, your podcast place for Fairfield basketball, along with the coach. I'm Bob Eastler, joined by my broadcast partner, the Fairfield Hall of Famer, Joe DeSantis. And today we're also pleased to welcome to the podcast Stag Center, Chris Mido. The Stags now 3-4 and four in the MAC after a tough, uh, hard-fought loss at Iona. And they followed that up with a somewhat extraordinary win at St. Peter's. Extraordinary when you look at some of the numbers coming out of that game, which we will do in a moment. But first, let's kick things off with the Open Court Challenge, a Stags trivia question that will bring you the answer when we wrap things up. Now, in that game at Iona, Jake Wojcik became the fifth Stag to score 1,000 combined career points with the first portion of those 1,000 coming at a previous school. In Jake's case, it was Richmond. Former Stags point guard Caleb Green, who began his career at Holy Cross, is another member of this club. Now, the first three were Richie O'Connor, who played at Duke and Fairfield, Danny Odoms, who played at Austin P in Fairfield, and one of Joe's former teammates, Kim, Kim Fisher, Fisher, who played at Essex County Community College and then at Fairfield. So the question, in addition to being members of the Fairfield Combined 1000 Club, what do Richie O'Connor, Danny Odoms, and Kim Fisher all have in common. They are members of the Fairfield Combined Thousand Club. Richie O'Connor, Danny Odoms, Kim Fisher, what do they also all have in common? We'll give Joe a chance to think about that. You'll like the answer, Joe. I'll just give you that tease. By the way, Kim Sanders, for those of you listening, saying, hey, he was a member of the Combined Thousand He wasn't. He scored 1,000-plus points at Boston College before he got to Fairfield and then had an extraordinary one year at Fairfield. Okay. Oh, wait, let me cut you off. <clears throat> you said my former teammate, Kim Fisher. Yep. <clears throat> Danny Odoms was my teammate also. Yeah, early in your career. But I mean, you didn't la- say la- that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Don't let it happen let, again. Let the record show that Joe was teammates with two of those three, not Richie O'Connor, though. Let's get to the, uh, the substantive stuff here, and we'll start it off, Joe, uh, should say Jay, with um, – that a road win at St. Peter's. First road win of the year, first true road win after that loss at Iona. Uh, before I run some of those numbers I teased you about coming out of that St. Peter's game, which really are just hard to fathom considering you won the game, your overall thoughts on, on a tough stretch. You played two games in three days on the road, Iona and St. Peter's. Your feeling about uh, how the team came through that and, and what you saw from the Stags that weekend. Yeah, it was uh... – kind of a bipolar weekend. Um, we played a pretty clean game on Friday night, I thought, um, for the most part, and uh, did a good job of breaking press offense, uh, especially not having Caleb for both games, and I thought Woj was exceptional all weekend. And then, uh, boy, Sunday, I mean, I'm going to be in therapy for years after watching that game on Sunday because uh, I still don't know what to make of it. And, of course, you brought it up right away, so I appreciate that pump. I was hoping we would just move on. The numbers are incredible. Incredible. Uh, I've, nev- I've never been a part of a game and probably never will with numbers like that, and you win the game. Um, it's just I still don't know how we did it. I'm, I'm happy we did, obviously, but also concerned about some of those you know numbers. 
We're going to talk about Caleb Fields and his status in a few moments. We'll also get into uh, Jake Wojcik and uh, his performance over the last two games. But I wanted to just give you some perspective. Uh, Drew Kinsley did a great job of breaking this out. Uh, Fairfield on Sunday against St. Peter's became the first Division One team in eight years to have a minus 25 differential in offensive rebounds and still win the game. 29 offensive rebounds for them, four for you. Uh, as you said, you won't dodge that bullet often. Let me talk to somebody who was in the middle of <laughs> all that crossfire, Chris Mido. Chris, you're uh, literally in the middle of what – is just one offensive rebound, second chance, third chance opportunity for those guys. From your perspective, why were they able to pull that off? And was it an anomaly or was it something that they did just simply better than you guys on that day? Um, I would say they just had lots of, like everybody would go to the glass. So we couldn't just box out. We had to like look for our man and find them. So, Usually it's like the long shots, like the last minute, everybody bucks out, but then one person ha ends up getting around. So I feel like with so many, there was a, they were on like a like a four-game losing streak. So I could, you could tell that they was really trying to find a way to like get their, get out of that slump that they're in. So I feel like when you have guys like that, they're doing whatever they can to try to make a – try to win so gotcha and then jay uh when you looked at the tape can you pretty much back up what chris just said there yeah it i mean so that we blocked nine shots in the game which was a season high for us probably the high since i've been here you know eight of them went out of bounds that they kept possession of yep. so there's eight rebounds right there and then they had these it's it wasn't the 20 whatever one or two afterwards they had like three possessions where they had multiple offensive rebounds. So the good news, I guess, is we got it over mostly <laughs> pretty quickly. It wasn't like two, two, you know, but it was, um, they were just flying to the glass. We did an awful job, credit to St. Peter's for being hungry and uh, sending so many guys to the glass. And we just, you know, was an emphasis going in there. They're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country and in our league, certainly, and they don't have a guy in the top 10 in offensive rebounding, so they all go. Uh, and we did an awful job of just kind of recognizing that and, and taking it from the scouting report to the floor, you know. Uh, so I was disappointed in that, but um, it was, again, I've, I've been asked about it. I don't even know what to say uh, about the game. I was stunned after we won it, and uh, – you know, I'm 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 glad we came back and found a way to win. But obviously, uh, you know, we went from <laughs> we went from I think we were third in the league in defensive re rebounding mm. possession to to eighth in one game. Mm. Uh, that that's, <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. That's hard to do. Yeah, that's hard to do. So, um, needless to say, we've done a, some rebounding in the last couple of days. Well, I'll I'll give you another number. This will lead to somewhere a little bit more positive, though. Um, another number that Drew came up with. And it's directly related to the offensive rebounds uh, that they got. They took twice as many shots as you did, 76 to 37. That's the first time in eight years that a team has had that big a negative shot differential and won the game. But, again, here we go with the positive part of this. They scored only 52 points, and they shot only 28% from the field. Now, they're not a good offensive team. That being said – the numbers say that was statistically your best defensive game of the year, if you look at it measured 
by points and, and field goal percentage. Um, what do you say after reviewing that game in terms of uh, how pleased you were with your team's defense? Yeah, we, you know, part of defense is rebounding. Um, so yeah. I wasn't pleased. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not finishing possessions, you know, we use this as, it's a, say, you're working all week and never pay, getting a paycheck. That's what we say all the time. It's like you're putting in the time and then Thursday comes and you show up to get your paycheck and it's not there. That's the same thing when you don't finish possessions. So, you know, it was really disappointing. Um, they got a lot of self-rebounds where they drove it, got in tight, and we just kind of turned on the rim and they got over our heads. So we've been working on that. We worked on that today. Uh, yeah, I, I'm proud of the way we fought and came back and found a way to win. Uh, but you also understand that that's an anomaly and that will never happen again probably uh, where you're going to be able to win a game like that. So, you know, I've told you this before, if, if we don't accept it, in losing, we're not going to accept it in winning either. And we had a pretty long film session yesterday, to say the least. Chris, uh, do you take it personally when that kind of a uh, game unfolds the way it did, albeit in a win? Yeah. I mean, like you said, if you you can't accept it, whether it's a win or a loss. So I feel like we, as a collective, we don't want that to happen again. And we plan on it never happening again where we give up that many offensive rebounds. How how correctable is it? What are the kinds of things you need to do in a practice as you've been doing this very week in order to remedy the situation? Um, pretty much just uh, toughness because I feel like that's something that you could control because and when it comes to like offense rebounding or defensive rebounding, it's just about your effort and your toughness. So I feel like us being more tough and more physical and taking it more personal on that uh, when it comes to offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding as well. So. Well, Fairfield got the win despite these uh, crazy numbers we're talking about and despite the fact that didn't have Caleb Fields on the floor uh, for either uh, the Iona game or the St. Peter's game. So uh, let's uh, circle back to that situation with Caleb. Uh, as I understand it, it was a hip injury, Jay, that he sustained in the Niagara game. And how's he coming along? Uh, he's coming along uh, well. He did some non-contact stuff today. And uh, we're just going to see where it stands for Friday night. But he was out there today uh, just doing, going through some stuff with all non-contact. So we'll kind of evaluate him and uh, good to have him back. But he's still pretty stiff. And we're just, it's, it's a day-to-day thing right now just for a pain tolerance type of thing. How did the injury occur? It was that fall that he took um, where he stayed down for yes. a little bit, where he got kind of clipped yep. uh, going to the basket. He stayed down for about a minute, hopped back up and finished the game, and then got home that night, was just in a lot of pain afterwards. So uh, got with that trainer the next morning. He, was, he wasn't he was moving very well. Tried to practice one day, but it, it just uh, wasn't going to happen. So, uh, you know, we just felt long-term for him to sit out uh, was the best thing and, and, and missed the weekend. So uh, Jake – Wojcik ends up handling uh, the, uh, well, he's your lead ball handler and handles the pressure at Iona specifically. And you saw a lot of press as well against St. Peter's. Uh, but Jake, uh, particularly in that game against Iona, handled things um, really, really well. So that would lead to the question, do you plan, even when Caleb is back, maybe to shift things around as far as the lead guard responsibilities are concerned? Yeah, I think you know Caleb's going to handle the ball for the most part, but we've we've always let uh, Woj bring it up if it was outletted to his side. Certainly, if he defensive rebounds, we want him to go with it. Um, you know, a lot of games, uh, the first St. Peter's game, uh, 
I forget the other game. They just kind of took Caleb out. Maybe it was Wagner, and they let Woj bring the ball up the floor. So he's had a lot of those responsibilities anyway, not the full-time role that he had this past weekend. But, uh, yeah, we talked about that yesterday, just, you know, kind of incorporating, you know, these dual point guard responsibilities and, and uh, maybe taking a leaving some of that pressure from him. But, you know, Caleb will have it a good portion of the time, but we feel really comfortable, obviously, uh, with the ball in Woj's hands as well. The offense, at least uh, to our eyes, seen more free-flowing, if that's the way to put it, in the uh, game against Iona. So the question there would be how much of that had to do with Iona, of course, will pressure start pressure you start to finish after every make, after every made free throw. You're going to see them uh, every inch of the floor. And then you responded well for the most part in that game. So the offense just looked like it was more, you know, in a different gear. Is that a fair assessment? And um, going forward from here, does it kind of uh, portend well for maybe the, the offense uh, taking that next step? There weren't a lot of half-court sets that we can run versus Iona. They're going to pressure you and try and make you be basketball players and make you make plays, and I thought we did a good job of that. They got us on some dead ball situations where it was tough for us to inbounds at, at bad angles, but once we got through their kind of first line of pressure, we actually had some success going, and uh, A.J. made some good plays. So I, I thought that helped our offense, Bob, just kind of sometimes when we got through the pressure that we were – had advantages, whether it was five on three, four on three, and we were able to convert some of those. So, you know, we didn't run a ton of half-court sets. They they don't let you do that. Uh, but I thought certainly our transition offense, our press offense, uh, kind of helped us get some easier shots. Now, they also got us with some turnovers on some dead ball situations and that type of thing. But for the most part, I thought, you know, we handled it pretty well. And certainly without having Caleb, I was very concerned going into the game that that was going to be a huge issue. Certainly would have liked to ha- have him, obviously, but uh, I thought Woj was really good. And A.J., I thought once we got the ball to the middle of the floor for him, uh, did a nice job of making some plays for some other guys that got us good shots. Um, speaking of Iona, you know, I, I, I went down to the game with some my buddies I grew up with, and I was uh, shocked at the crowd, knowing that the students were to be gone. So this question is for you, Chris. Generally speaking, or specifically, when you go to, to Iona, big game, and you see the crowd like that, does that pump you up more? Uh, yes, uh, I think it does. But most of the time, I'm really not like focused on like the crowd at the moment. I, I usually, in the beginning, you see the crowd, or at the end, you see the crowd. But during the game, I'm pretty much just focused on our bench, our energy, what we could do to give us some energy since we're in an away game. So stuff like that, it really doesn't affect like me at all. Um, and back to uh, you, Jay, we're talking about injuries and personnel. Uh, is there any time uh, this this year have you had some doubts about redshirting, the guys you redshirted, Ant Davis and Michael Rogan, now that you're kind of down in numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think you always, at the beginning of the year, you think about that, but it's never a reason to not redshirt a guy um, thinking about what could happen. But certainly, you know, uh, without Bryson and without Caleb the other night, you would want another guard to to give you a little more depth. But, you know, when guys play well, you also think, well, would they have gotten in the game, you know, the other night? Because our guards were playing pretty well. So I think you're right. You know, I've thought about that a couple times, you know, like are we going to be okay with some of the injuries we've had. But I still think long term for those guys, it was the best decision. And – you know, and and for their careers and and for our program. 
And and I have another question. It's probably going to be hard for you to answer, and maybe you don't want to answer it. Is any time during the year, let's say in your whole coaching career where you've redshirted guys, have a player ever come up to you and said, you know what, I don't want a redshirt, you need me now? No. No. <laughs> okay, they want the whole year, don't yeah. they? I think it's uh, certainly at this point, maybe if it's something happened earlier, you know, and they missed yeah. a few games. But right. once you're at this point. No doubt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get back to that St. Peter's game. Um, you, Despite everything we've talked about regarding the problems in that game, you did have a nine-point lead in the second half. And then you went six minutes without a point before AJR hits that three. Uh, he beat the shot clock. I mean, you talk about the most inexplicable uh, solution to a, a six-minute drought. Alan Gene Rose hitting the three, but he did kind of took the pressure off a little bit. But I want to ask you about that six minute stretch of no points. Uh, it's something we've seen before uh, this season. Uh, how do you, when you go forward and you look at it and you want to try and come up with a solution, uh, how do you go about attacking that, that, that problem, those dry spells in the middle of games? Almost always those stretches that you're talking to Bob, about, Bob, uh, include multiple turnover possessions. So that's the first thing we, we, we can't we have to get shots up at the basket. So when I look at those stretches that we go through, um, almost always it, it's that. Um, and then, you know, we've got to be a little more aggressive in those situations about, you know, going a little earlier in, in the shot clock, getting downhill, trying to get fouled, all those type of things. But those things, and it was the other night too, I think we had in that stretch three bad turnovers and uh, that's what we got to control. We, we, you know, if, you know, obviously our, our offensive struggles are well documented. And then you, on top of that, you're going to turn the ball over. That's why you get those stretches. So, you know, we, we've been harping and, you know, everybody, every time someone in, in a drill turns something over in practice, they owe us a up and back at the end of practice. And just not as punishment, but trying to get us more, way more conscious of ball security. And, uh, and that type of thing. I want to get back now to Jake, who um, really seemed to turn the corner in those two games, at Iona and at St. Peter's. He had more points in those two games than the previous five combined. He, he shot it better. He looked better. I mean, he just looked like a much more confident player. So I'm not going to ask you how will he sustain it. I'm going to ask you why he will sustain it going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, Woj's approach during this whole thing has been really good. Um, you know, he he was struggling. Uh, I thought he was practicing well. I, we've talked about that. So, to me, you sustain stuff when, you, when you're consistent about your behaviors and your habits. And he's been doing that. So, I'm, I'm confident he will. Uh, and, you know, everybody asked me, if I own her, is he back? Is he back? And he, he didn't really go away. He's always been here. He's been struggling. <laughs> Um, and then he comes out, you know, against St. Peter's and has another very, very good night. And I honestly thought uh, Woj's calming presence in both games where he played uh, under control. And it was very difficult for Iona or uh, St. Peter's to speed him up. I think one possession against Iona, he kind of lost the ball. We probably went a little too fast. But other than that, you know, you think about how much you got the ball in your hands and how and they're coming at you with guys who are fast and quick and strong. So uh, I, I thought he did a great job. And, again, to answer your question, you know, it's just about your approach every single day, and he's had a really good approach through some very difficult shooting slumps. 
Well, we're looking at a guy who sees it day in and day out of practice. And, and Chris, uh, Chris, talk to us about that player that Jay was just describing, the guy, Jake Wojcik, who has been bringing it into practice all season long. It must have been you know, satisfying for you as a teammate to see that finally translate into a game situation, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, he had like to step up because with Caleb out, he took that uh, responsibility and took that role to become like a leader and to become, you know, a better player to help us out. So I felt like that Caleb being out uh, made his game like rise up and like a level, like level up. So I felt like he did a good job with that from practice and in the games and you could see it. So, yeah, Chris. So um, last year you were 69% field goal. This year you were about 60%. In the last two games, 28 minutes, you were six for eight from the field. Pretty productive. Do, do you have a um, – would you rather play the four or the five or you just want to play? And how do you how are you going to get more playing time? How how's You've been an effective player in terms of field goal percentage. What are you doing to get more minutes on the court? Just no matter what, just try to help my team win, being as productive as I can as possible, whether that be four minutes, 11 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it may be, just continue to be productive. And and what do you, what do you contribute – your your field goal percentage at a high level. What is that about? Getting good position, getting the ball in the right spot. What what is that about? Mm-hmm. I feel like just being in the right place at the right time, being able to read the defense, see uh, if I can help my teammates out with my teammates uh, being able to like shoot pretty well, especially um, AJ and the guards because they're really focused on them. I take like those opportunities and be able to continue and like use those to score and stuff like that so you're a good teammate <laughs> yeah you, you talked about the bench uh mm-hmm. and the energy on the bench that's uh that's a real point of emphasis on this team you see it with a lot of teams but um that connectivity on the bench and and adding that energy that is necessary uh is that something that comes naturally or do you guys is it something that you, the coaching staff drills into you uh, on a continual basis yeah a little bit of both uh with the coach casey he's really a big like bench guy to like help us give us some energy sometimes no matter if it's good or bad we're doing good or we're doing bad just keep our head up onto the next play so we could be able to continue to perform well so um you hit a milestone the other day you may not know about. Uh, Sunday was your 100th career game, which uh, you actually have played more games than any fourth-year player in the MAC. There were three guys ahead of you uh, on that list, but they're all in their fifth year. So that being said, um, describe the Chris Mido who stepped on the court for game one and the player who will step on the court for game 101 on Friday night against Canisius. <laughs> the first ever game, I, you could tell I was very, like, nervous. It was my first – I think it was like Bucknell, I think, probably, yeah. That was my first game. I think I, I, think I didn't – I wasn't probably as productive as I am now, but it was just a crazy, like, experience. How, how, how have you changed? What are the things that you now um, appreciate better with the perspective of, uh, of well, now 100 games played? Uh, just the teammates. Everybody's always there to, like, you know, support you. From game one till now, people are always going to be on your side. So I feel like that made it easier for me to, like, open up on and off the court and to be able to trust my teammates and for them to trust me. So I became more confident as time went on, so – so that's a kind of like a personal development area. How about basketball development-wise? Uh, what do you think uh, your biggest improvement? Where does that lie? 
Um, I would say being like aggressive, like on the offensive end, a little bit taking like with passing as well, being able to give uh, my teammates uh, good shots and also rebounding. I, especially in the first portion of my like first half of my career, I feel like rebounding was probably one of my biggest strengths and stuff. So I feel like. And uh, Jay, how would you describe Chris's development from game one to game oh. 100? He's two different players. Uh, he was about uh, 175 pounds soaking wet when we <laughs> against Bucknell, and now he's over 220 pounds. And I think that's you know certainly a huge part of his development and being so effective around the rim. Now is the uh, commitment that he's weighed, made in the weight room. Uh, he's really developed uh, his IQ is so much better. Um, and we feel really confident with him in ball screen coverage. And uh, and he's become a really kind of effective passer. He's thrown some very, very good passes to uh, perimeter guys for good shots and that type of thing. So I, I, Chris has put, put him right up there with the guys who have made the most uh, jumps biggest jump since I've been here and, and Chris would certainly be at the top of that list. Chris, uh, having been around the program now for three plus seasons, uh, how would you characterize uh, the identity, the, the personality of this year's Fairfield team? I would say tough. Uh, we we play a little like more like smoother, I would say, even though we're not like making shots. Defensively, we've been good. Uh, de- offensive rebounding, I feel like, is pretty much like one of our identities, and limiting threes as well. So I think on the defensive end, I think we're a pretty like tough defensive team, even if our offense isn't carrying us like the way we it should. But how uh, how hard is it to uh, play defense for for Coach Young? How how difficult is that? <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty difficult but at the end of the day it's uh it helps the team out it helps the team out a lot because he's very like defensive driven so us um because defense wins championships like he said so he wants us to be a championship team so i feel like defensively he wants us to be the best so would you rather hit a 3 make <laughs> a reverse dunk or block someone else's dunk to win the game block somebody else's dunk to Good win the answer. game Good answer. <laughs> Posterize. <laughs> Your relationship with uh, Supreme Cook, you guys are kind of uh, interchangeable uh, off and on the floor. Occasionally you'll be out mm-hmm. there together, but not often. But obviously you've gone up against him in practice uh, for all of your career for the most part. Uh, your relationship with him. Uh, his first year here, he was pretty much just like a very <laughs> quiet guy. He was just to himself. Uh, he would just be in practice, you know. And what did they say that much? But as time went on, he's been he's been more vocal on and off the court as well. You can start to see his personality, and we became very like close. So us being kind of like in the same position, and me being like more experienced, I could kind of help him. And being defending him and guarding him also helps me out because that's pretty much what the league. He's pretty much like one of the best bigs in the league. So being able to go up against him, it pretty it helps me out a lot. So I feel like it's good. So how are you better as a senior in terms of leadership? I feel like with the younger guys or not even the young guys, yeah, people who are younger than me, I feel like I have a better like you know vision, like an IQ. So like I'm able to tell them like what they might hear from coach. I'm able to like 
tone it down, like make sure they can understand it. They can understand it because it might seem different coming from a coach than it is coming from a player. So I feel like I was just like, I'm like that second voice. So make sure they understand instead of just like, you know, them not knowing exactly like what they're doing and stuff. Do you ever go to a coach and say, hey, I think this is better? I think we should run this play or I think we should do that. Is that something that you've done? Uh, usually they ask us like what do like what we think we should run in a position. So I feel like that's a good that's a good like relationship to have with the coach. So I feel like that's a big part. I I think Joe and I both agree on this. This team is is certainly capable of doing some damage when you get to uh, Atlantic City in March. In your opinion, from a player standpoint, what is if I were to say what is the single most important area of improvement this need this team needs to make between now and then when you want to uh, cut down some nets in, in Atlantic City. What would that be? Uh, I would say, I mean, obviously the defense, but us making shots will be a great help. But that defensive side, we've dropped from three to eight. So getting back that back up, getting all of our defensive numbers up either to one or two or maybe even in the top three, uh, that will help us make – a great, you know, jump to the in the tournament. And that starts, as uh, Coach pointed out earlier, when you want to play good defense, that involves rebounding and leads us into the matchup on uh, Friday night at home against Canisius. They're a pretty good rebounding team, offensive rebounding uh, in terms of uh, percentage. They're right behind St. Peter's. So um, as you get ready for that matchup against Canisius, uh, that obviously is one area of, of uh, priority. What would the others be? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Reggie's a very good coach and, and very their offense is very, uh, you know, system-oriented. So uh, we're going to have to defend the whole shot clock. That's a big uh, focus of ours is they're going to make you – they're going to operate with six seconds on the shot clock like they will at 24. They're not going to panic. And the worst thing you can do is get them to miss, give up an offensive rebound, and then they're going to just run another 24 off. And they really stick in their offense. They, re- they really uh, do a good job of, of doing that. So just the discipline on the defensive end to play the entire possession uh, and, you know, to defeat the screens and, and the, the many things that they do offensively. So I think it's just our, our discipline on that end of not following, not giving up second shots and playing the whole shot clock has really been a focus of ours the last couple of days. And I know that's all you're focusing on, uh, but just for – this podcast and looking ahead to Sunday, and I know you're not thinking about Siena right now, but you have played them. What needs to be different this time around against Siena as opposed to when they got you here at the Mahoney Arena? Well, you know, they just – Bob jumped out to that huge lead, and we're playing from behind so so much. We can't allow that to happen. So, um, yeah, you're right. I, I really even uh, haven't thought, thought about Siena at all, but certainly you can't spot a team uh, 18 points at all and if you go on the road and do that, you've got no shot at winning. So, um, you know, just getting off to a better start and and, uh, and being more consistent for sure. Final thing here, Jay, um, we've wrapped up a lot of these podcasts by getting the quote-unquote Bryson Goodine update. You have an update, a, uh, a clear-cut update on his situation. Unfortunately, it's not good news, but why don't you bring us up to speed? Yeah, Bryson's going to actually, uh, right after our podcast, I'm going to take him over, and he's going to get his uh, knee operated on, and, uh, you know, he's going to be uh, done for the year. And uh, unfortunately for him, uh, you know, it's a tough break, uh, uh, but we're we're confident he's going to come back better than he ever has, and 
uh, we'll see him again next year. But uh, just not the news we were looking for. But we exhausted, you know, everything we could to see if we could get him going through this year, and it just wasn't going to work. So it was decided with his, with Bryson and his parents, and obviously the advice of the doctors that uh, the surgery was going to have to happen. So the prognosis is good. He should be back on the floor. Well, uh, we'll probably know more after what they yeah. got in there today and, and kind of find and, you know, some stuff we know. I think there's some unknowns about what's going to happen once they do open them up. Um, but uh, I won't know any of that till till kind of after the surgery is done. Okay. Uh, time to answer the open court challenge, Joe. Uh, you have an Read idea? the question again? All right. Because uh, <laughs> I've been worrying about it the whole last 30 minutes. In addition to <laughs> – in addition to being members of the Fairfield Combined 1,000 Points Club, what do former Stags Richie O'Connor, Danny Odoms, and Kim Fisher all have in common? He's, he's actually reading. I'm trying to find the answer on you. I have no clue. It's like he's back know. at Fairfield. He's looking on someone's paper. Yeah, right. <laughs> Any guesses, guys? I have no idea. The only thing I could think of is it, is it – uh, Geography la- related at no, all? No. No. Two, Two of the three from Jersey, yeah, right. one's from yeah. Brooklyn. Okay, okay. <clears throat> I went that route. That all three of them were NBA draft picks. O'Connor was an eighth-round pick of the Kansas City Omaha Kings. Google it, Chris. <laughs> Odoms was a sixth-round pick of the Buffalo Braves. You can Google that as well. And Fisher was an eighth-round pick of... The Boston Celtics. So congratulations, Kim Fisher. You're the only player drafted by a franchise that actually still exists. So there's your answer. Well, I got one for for Jay and for Chris and for Ryan. Who was the highest player drafted out of Fairfield? In addition to you. Mark Young? Right. How about that? He knew it. Good. No, I I wanted to help because I I thought they would say you. No, I I asked who was the highest pick, so – it had nothing to do with the second guy. But you picked. were both second round draft picks. But a lot picks. of people, a lot people think I was, but I wasn't. Mark was picked like I wanted to help three picks before me. Three. Yes. Good for you. And you need to Google Mark Young. So you're going to ask me if I have anything else now? Yes. Okay. So back in the day, in the 70s, when I played, we all went into one dorm during the break and then we got per diems. And there was guys that saved all their money and walked out of here with three, four, five hundred bucks, never ate. Are you happier now? That the students are back, or did you like that um, kind of country club atmosphere where you didn't have to go to school for the last month? Uh, a combination of both. <laughs> I felt like uh, the students being back is gonna is gonna be good environment for us when we play at our home. We play at home, so but I like the peace and quiet, just like hanging out with our teammates and stuff like that. So I feel like it's a combination of both. Good answer. Chris, uh, thank you very much for joining us. By the way, you have the best smile on the yep, Fairfield Stags. Absolutely, Stag. no doubt. Great, great being around you. And that'll do it for this edition of Open Court with Jay Young. Next up for the Stags, a return to Mahoney Arena on Friday night, January 20th, as they take on Canisius. And then a two-game road trip at Siena, January 22nd, at Mount St. Mary's, January 26th. Here's more trivia for you, Joe, that oh. game against Mount the Stags will be looking to avenge a very difficult loss. They were beaten by the Mount 73 years ago in the first season of Fairfield basketball. That's the only wow. other time that Fairfield has ever played Mount St. Mary's in 1949. This will be matchup number two between Fairfield. Have you ever Mount. been to Mount St. Mary's? Not. Love that place. Is it? Yeah. Love I've, it. I've not been there, yeah. Love that place. Old, very old-fashioned 
good backing, you know, um, good crowd, nice little gym. People are beautiful down there. Okay. Chris, good luck avenging that 1949 <laughs> loss. And that'll do it for our uh, edition of this podcast. Our next podcast will drop shortly after the Stags play Ryder on Sunday afternoon. Back home Sunday afternoon, January 29th. Uh, home against uh, uh, Canisius this Friday. And then on Sunday, January 29th against Ryder. And after that Ryder game, sometime that week, we'll drop the next podcast. So for Jay Young and for Chris Mido and for the Fairfield Hall of Famer Joe DeSantis and our great producer Ryan Moynihan, I'm Bob Hiesler. Thanks for listening to Open Court. The Open Court Podcast is a presentation of Fairfield University Athletics. For future podcasts, videos, news, stats, and coverage of Fairfield Stags men's basketball, log on to fairfieldstags.com. Stags.